We read God's Word this morning as it is found in Isaiah chapter 44. The prophecy of Isaiah chapter 44. We read the first eight verses, one through eight, of Isaiah 44. Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet, about 800 years before Jesus Christ, prophesies of what Christ would come and do for His people. He does that in many places in the prophecy of Isaiah. He does that here also, comforting the church with that gospel. One through eight, Isaiah 44, hear the word of God. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord, that made thee, and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the watercourses. One shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. And another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord, and surname himself by the name in, of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who, as I, shall call, and shall declare it, and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. You read that far in God's holy and inspired Word. Now we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism as we find it in Lord's Day 27, page 15. Page 15, the Heidelberg Catechism instructs us on the doctrines of God's Word. It bases its teaching or instruction on the Scriptures as indicated by all the proof texts in the column And last week, in Lord's Day 27, you considered question answers 72 and 73, and this week we consider question answer 74 on the baptism of both adults and their infant children. But let's, let's read the whole Lord's Day, Lord's Day 27. 
is then the external baptism with water, the washing away of sin itself? Not at all. For the blood of Jesus Christ only and the Holy Ghost cleanse us from all sin. Why then doth the Holy Ghost call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks thus, not without great cause to wit, not only thereby to teach us that as the filth of the body is purged away by water, so our sins are removed by the blood and Spirit of Jesus Christ but especially that by this divine pledge and sign He may assure us that we are spiritually cleansed from our sins as really as we are externally washed with water. Now question answer 74 that we focus on, are infants also to be baptized? Yes, for since they, as well as the adult, are included in the covenant and church of God. And since redemption from sin by the blood of Christ and the Holy Ghost, the author of faith, is promised to them no less than to the adult, they must therefore by baptism, as a sign of the covenant, be also admitted into the Christian church and be distinguished from the children of unbelievers as was done in the Old Testament or, or Old Covenant or Testament by circumcision, instead of which baptism is instituted in the New Testament or the New Covenant. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Heidelberg Catechism, and Lord's Day 27 in particular, is, is polemical. By polemical, I mean it includes fighting words. Words that are meant to fight against errors that come against the Reformed doctrines and the truths of Scripture in order to, defense, to, to defend God's Word and Reformed truth. The Heidelberg Catechism not only teaches the truths of God's Word positively, But having taught them positively, it would guard the members of the church against errors. Errors especially, as we see in Lord's Day 27, which come against the the sacrament of baptism. Before we get into those errors, I remind you positively about what baptism means. First, I remind you that baptism is a sign of one's entrance into God's covenant. The covenant of God is is that relationship of friendship and fellowship that God has with His people. And when the sacrament of baptism is administered upon one, that is a sign positively of one's entrance into that friendship and fellowship with God at the moment of regeneration. And when one enters into that covenant with God, the sign of baptism also shows us, secondly, the washing away of sin. When we think of the washing away of sin, we should think of two different distinct washings. First, the washing away of the guilt of sin by the blood of Christ. So children, when you see the water of baptism come upon a person, 
that is supposed to be a sign or symbol of the blood of Christ taking away all of the dirty guilt of sin so that we are righteous before God. That's the only way that we can have, have fellowship and friendship with God. But baptism also, and the water of it, shows the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ coming into a person, and regenerating that person, applying the salvation that Christ has earned. Lord's Day 26 and 27 both talk about how baptism symbolizes the blood of Christ, taking away the guilt of sin, but also the Spirit of Jesus Christ, regenerating and working in the heart the salvation that Christ has earned. Baptism, when we see it in church, is supposed to be a sign and a seal. A sign meaning it's a picture of this saving work of Jesus Christ. And a seal means that it is for the assurance, the assurance of God's people, that when they look upon that sign of baptism, God declares to the heart of faith that you have indeed been washed by the blood and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Catechism then in Lord's Day 27, as I said, having positively explained the truth of baptism, moves us into the two different errors and defends that truth against those errors. Two errors, I said, the first one we considered last week of the Roman Catholic Church, the error called baptismal regeneration. In question and answers 72 and 73, the Catechism asks whether the water itself of baptism washes away sin, whether the water itself can regenerate. Essentially, the question is whether or not the church institute like this one can do the work of washing away sin. And the obvious answer that you saw last week is that no, Christ Jesus alone must do the washing away of sin by His blood and Holy Spirit. The church institute only symbolizes it. The church institute shows a sign with which faith can receive the assurance of baptism or the assurance of salvation. It's not baptism itself, but Christ Jesus Himself that washes away sin. But this morning we focus in on what is an error in many evangelical churches today? It's an error in many Baptist churches, even so-called Reformed Baptist or Calvinistic Baptist churches. It's an error that limits baptism to those who are adults. And it limits baptism to those who are adults who with adult qualities can think and can confess their faith in an understandable manner. Only those, the Baptist church says, may be baptized. And the Reformed position, and we believe based on the Scriptures, the Reformed position is that God does not limit baptism nor salvation which baptism pictures to adult confessing believers, but believers and their children are to receive that sign of salvation because God saves believers and their children. The comfort of the gospel. 
is that God sovereignly and graciously cleanses us, believers and their children, of our sins. His blood washes away the guilt of our sins, and the Spirit works regeneration in the hearts of adults and their children. Isaiah says to the church in Isaiah 44, verse 2, notice, Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. And then he explains to the church of the Old Testament the comfort of the Gospel. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground, And then parallel to that, the symbol of pouring water is, I will pour my Spirit. Remember the Spirit symbolized at baptism. I will pour my Spirit upon thy seed, Isaiah says, and my blessing upon thine offspring. That is part of the comfort which God gives to His church in the Old Testament. That He saves us. Not just individuals, but believers and their seed or offspring that saves us from our sins. Against the Baptists, and we'll get more into this in a moment, against the Baptists we say, when you limit baptism only to adult believers, you remove one of the precious pieces of comfort from the church which baptism is supposed to picture, that God would have us see the washing away of the sins of adult believers and their offspring. And, and, and we are sharp on that. That, that. that Baptist error is an error. It's, it's an error we detest even. The Belgic Confession, Article 34, puts it strongly. We detest the error of the Anabaptists who condemn the baptism of the infants of believers. That's not to say that all Baptists are not believers. There are brothers and sisters in the Baptist church. And yet, it is necessary to say that it is a grievous error that we despise because it hides one of the precious comforts of God's people that baptism is supposed to picture. Based on God's Word, especially Isaiah 44 here, as as it is explained by Lord's Day 27, consider with me God's promise to pour water upon thy seed. First, the promise at baptism. Second, the errors of Baptists. And then finally, the resulting confession. God's promise to pour water upon thy seed. What we read in Isaiah 44, verse 3, is a promise. It's a promise that God gives to His church, the people of His covenant. And it's a promise related, obviously, to baptism. I will pour water, meaning I will pour My Spirit upon thy seed, and My blessing upon thine offspring. This is one of the basic proof texts of Scripture, not the only one, but one of the basic proof texts of Scripture which destroys the Baptist argument for withholding baptism from infants. 
and shows us clearly that God intends for baptism to be a sign of His blessing of believers and their offspring or seed. The prophet Isaiah prophesies to the church in the Old Testament. He calls them Jacob, notice, and Israel. And then in verse 3, Jeshurun. Jeshurun is a term of endearment. It's a, it's a feminine word or name. A term of endearment which means the righteous one. The beloved bride of God who is righteous in His sight. But Israel had strayed again and again from God. In the time of Isaiah, remember, the people of Israel were under King Ahaz and they had turned again and again away from Jehovah God and sin and and idolatry and all kinds of wicked sins that, that were worse even than the pagan nations around them. And so through Isaiah, in the, in the first part of the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah had brought the warning of judgment that was coming upon them. The Babylonian captivity, which was God's consequence for their sins. And You remember, children, how God sent Nebuchadnezzar and destroyed their land and killed many people and took the children from their parents children like Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, and brought them far away, a thousand miles away from their country. Here in chapter 44, Isaiah, in the second half of Isaiah, changes his tone slightly and speaks to the people of Israel as though they are already in captivity. Because he does not only want to bring warnings of judgment, and call them to repentance, but he he wants to show them the gospel that they are to turn to. So he comforts them. And this is part of the comfort that he brings to the church in captivity. He comforts them with a promise of salvation. The washing away of their sins. Look at the previous chapter, chapter 43, verse 25. 43, verse 25, he promises them of the washing away of the guilt of their sins. I, even I, am He that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and I will not remember thy sins. Isaiah speaks of this saving work of the blood of Christ washing away the guilt of sin. And here in the chapter that we read, Isaiah 44, verse 3, he follows it up with the Spirit that He would pour out upon His people that He blotted the transgressions from. I will remember thy sins no more, and I will pour my Spirit upon you. And it should be obvious, as New Testament people of God who read Isaiah, it should be obvious to us that Isaiah is prophesying of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is coming to do His saving work. He's telling Jacob and and, and Israel in captivity of the Messiah who was soon to come, that with His blood He would wash away their sins. And He would, especially at Pentecost, pour out His Holy Spirit upon His blood-bought people. And the question that we must ask then is, upon whom? Upon whom does God promise to pour out His Spirit? The answer is that His Spirit would be poured out upon the whole church. That's the point of Israel. That's the point of Jacob. The the whole covenant community. Not only 
the adult believers, but the whole covenant community would be like the dry ground Isaiah is picturing that would receive water. And, and in that dry ground Isaiah is picturing, there would be seeds. And the seed of the dry ground would receive that water and would grow as children do in the covenant community. God promises to do this as His saving work in Jesus Christ. And that's why the catechism, it's the main point of the catechism, when it speaks of infants also being baptized, says this about those who are members of the church. Who are members of the church? Who are members of the church? They, that is, infants, as well as the adult, are included in the covenant and church of God. When the Scriptures promise salvation and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they promise that salvation and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the whole church, which includes the children or the seed, offspring, of believers. And when that Spirit, remember, was poured out on Pentecost in fulfillment of Isaiah 44, what did Peter do? He stood up and preached about how this was a fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies, including Isaiah 44, and he said, for the promise, meaning the promise of the Spirit, is unto you, Acts 2.39, and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. What a comfort that was for the church in Isaiah's day. Think about that. Put yourself in, in, their, in their shoes. They were either going to captivity or already in captivity when they heard this message of Isaiah. Believing adults don't only care about themselves. Believing adults in the middle of captivity think about their children. They would cry out, well, I know, I, I know I'll be okay because I have the Spirit of God in me and I know He will preserve me, but what about my children? What about Daniel? What about my Hananiah? What about Mishael? What about Azariah? That's what parents cry out. That's what parents want to know. Will they survive the anti-Christian kingdom of this world that Nebuchadnezzar the king is going to bring against them? Will God have mercy upon my children? In this wicked world, will He save me not only but my seed, my offspring? What is the future of God's church? And the comfort to God's people. I will pour out my Spirit upon thy offspring. Or Genesis 17.7 To Abraham and to all believers in Him, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. 
The sacrament of baptism is God's way of reminding the church of these precious promises. The sacrament of baptism is God's way of proclaiming to God's people along with the preaching, I will be merciful to you and your children living in a world like this one that will become worse than the one that Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah lived in in captivity. And the promises are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. Not because we're such great parents. We fail again and again. And though we are diligent, we rely on those promises shown in the sign of baptism. One qualification, obviously, and that does not mean every single person in the visible church is washed. Not every single baptized person, externally baptized, is in the covenant and washed by the blood and spirit of Christ. Because you have the doctrine of election. Election determines those who are truly part of Israel. Verse 2 brings up election in Isaiah 44. Notice, Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. When God speaks, He is speaking to the true Israel, the, the remnant within the nation of Israel. Because God knows, He's planned from eternity, that there are Esau's among the Jacobs. There are. There are tares among the wheat, as Jesus' parable shows us. In Romans 9, verse 6, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. It's not that the promises of God shown at baptism have no effect. Romans 9, 6, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Election determines who are truly in the covenant those who are truly washed. But that does not take away from the promise that is to be illustrated at baptism. That in this covenant community, God saves believers, adult believers, and also their children. We baptize with that in mind. Notice those powerful words in the catechism. No less than to the adult. No less than to the adult. The blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit, the author of faith, is promised to them, that is to children of believers, no less than to the adult. It's one of the most important phrases in the catechism here. Not only for the Baptists that hold to adult baptism only, but for all of us as adults, especially in the church of Jesus Christ. We as adults with, with mature bodies, with, with mature brains, with, with the ability perhaps to speak more clearly, and with more understanding about the doctrines of Scripture than our children, we tend to puff ourselves up. We do. I do. 
And we tend to think of ourselves as better than our children. That's our pride. Higher, greater. And we need to hear that. That, that God saves and He gives these promises to them no less than to the adult. Adults are no better. We are sinners like our children and we pass on, remember, to our children our depravity. That's the only thing we pass on. We don't pass on our regenerated state. We pass on only our depravity. And we as adults did not enter into the covenant because of something we did. We didn't do anything to gain the washing away of our sins. We didn't do anything to get the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. We adults also entered the covenant and are washed merely of His grace only for the sake of Christ's merits. You know that, but you you and I need to be reminded of that. And children too, like adults, are sinners. The sin we see in them is the same sin we have. And they're brought into the covenant in the same way as we are by sovereign grace in Jesus Christ. Why would adults receive baptism and their children not? One of the reasons that many, not all, but many Baptists have is that they believe salvation is in some way conditioned upon man, upon the individual. That's why Adult believers and not children are baptized in many Baptist churches. Arminianism, Arminian theology is behind limiting baptism to adults. Again, not every Baptist church has Arminianism behind why they baptize adults only. But many do. It's conditioned, you see. Salvation is conditioned upon the ability to accept Jesus Christ and confess their faith before man. And then, then only is one saved. Then only is one regenerated. Then only is one washed by the blood of Christ. Then only is one able to receive the Spirit. Because that is the theology behind it, or in their minds, baptism then may only be administered to those who have fulfilled the condition for salvation. But the catechism says, and we believe, no less than the adult, the promises of salvation are given to sinners, adults and their children. Believing adults and their children. And children no less than the adult are saved by sovereign grace alone. The Word of God even says something stronger. Jesus says in Luke 18, verse 16, when believing parents brought infants to Jesus, and He blessed them, remember, and said, of such is the kingdom of God. Luke 18, verse 17. Of such is the kingdom of God of little children, of infants, of believers. He continues, Verily I say unto you, to you adults, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. 
we adults who see ourselves sometimes as better than our children need to heed Christ's words, which says, which say, we must become like little children. That is, recognize ourselves as helpless, like a little child. Of such is the kingdom of heaven, those who rest in Christ alone. Like a little child resting upon her mother. So, beloved, at at worst, most Baptists, or many Baptists, do not baptize infants because behind that sacrament is Arminian theology that they hold to, a conditional salvation and covenant. But at best, the Baptist error is to hide the promise of God to hide the promise of God which He wants displayed at baptism. To hide the precious and comforting promise of God to us and our offspring. This is My promise, God says, upon My church, which includes offspring, children. I will pour My Spirit like water upon them. And the Calvinistic Baptists may say, that's true. He pours His Spirit upon adults and their offspring, yet we're not going to show it at baptism. And we say that hides that which God intends for the comfort of His people to be displayed at baptism. But one of the main problems, perhaps the main problem with the Baptist view is called dispensationalism. The dispensational view of the covenant. Not all, but most Baptists have an understanding of the covenant that is erroneous. We believe that God's covenant is one. God has one covenant. That relationship of friendship and fellowship that He makes with both His Old Testament people as well as His New Testament people. There are differences in how He administers that covenant, but it's one covenant that He makes with His Old and New Testament people. The Baptist, however, is affected by a dispensational background, a dispensational mindset that would separate the Old Testament and the New Testament covenants. That is what leads to a denial of the covenant being for both adult believers and their children. To help us understand that, this is what a Baptist would say when he hears a quote like the one from Isaiah 44. When we read in Isaiah 44 that God says, I will pour my spirit upon him that is thirsty and floods upon dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. A Baptist would respond, but that's Old Testament. That's the Old Covenant. That would be the claim. Or if we would read from Genesis 17:7, like we already did, that God to Abraham said, I will... My co- I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, they would say. That's, that's Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. 
Or if we say to them, as the catechism shows us here, that, that we should baptize children in the new covenant, as was done in the old covenant or testament by circumcision. They would say, well, you're mixing the two. That Old Testament circumcision is one thing, and the New Testament baptism is totally different. That's Old Testament you keep going back to. That's what the Baptist often does. That reveals a dispensational mindset that is a, a separating of the Old and New Covenants or Testament. And so when you hear that in, in someone who is a Baptist, maybe even a, a brother or a sister in Christ who is a Baptist, there must be a patient demonstration from Scripture and insistence that the Old Testament people and the New Testament people are one people of God. We're all saved by grace. We're all saved by Jesus Christ alone. Yes, there are some differences, one being that the Old Testament people look forward to the cross of Jesus Christ, the Messiah soon to come, and, and the New Testament people look backward on what Christ has already done, but both Old and New Testament are saved by the same faith in the same Jesus, the same Messiah, forgiven by His blood alone, washed by His Spirit only. And the only reason that the signs are different like circumcision, for example, is because the Old Testament signs in anticipating or looking forward to the cross were bloody. There were bloody signs. Blood had to be shed to point to the bloodshed of Christ. And the New Testament signs are no longer bloody. Baptism is not bloody. The Lord's Supper is not bloody because Christ has already shed His blood. But whether they're bloody or non-bloody, they point to the same Christ and the same Gospel that we're saved by grace alone and Christ alone, through faith alone. And only if a Baptist sees that the covenant of the Old and New Testament is the same gracious friendship and fellowship that God makes with His people in Jesus Christ, will they recognize that the promises to Abraham and the promises to Israel and Isaiah are promises to us in the New Testament as well, which are for our children also. The strongest argument of the Baptists is that there is no explicit example in the New Testament of infant baptism. And here is a proper answer to the Baptist challenge First, a humble acknowledgement that there is no explicit reference to a baptism of an infant. That's true. But there are many implicit, implicit references to infant baptism. The first one, as you know, is the household baptisms of the New Testament. You have, you have in Acts 16 especially, Remember Acts 16, children, young people, when you're talking to a Baptist. In Acts 16, you have the household baptisms of the Philippian jailer and Lydia. And listen to what, what Paul says to the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, 31 33. 
They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto him, that is the Philippian jailer, the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all, and all his, straightway. Now again, the Baptist will say there's no explicit reference to to, to an infant, but the point is that with the conversion of the head of the household, it was a baptism of the whole household in Acts 16, 31 through 33. That's an implicit reference to the baptism of the church, a whole household, a family. But don't stop there. Another answer to the Baptist argument that there are no explicit references to New, in the New Testament to infant baptism is to follow it up with explaining why there, why there are no explicit but implicit references. And one answer is that this is a missionary context. Remember, the missionary context of the New Testament. The history that we get, especially in the book of Acts, and that's really the, the only historical part of the New Testament besides the Gospels after Jesus Christ. The book of Acts is primarily about missionary work. And, and if you are going forth as a missionary to people who have never heard the Gospel of Jesus Christ before, it is very understandable why the focus would be on adult baptism as they are converted to the faith for the first time. In the mission context, it is understandable that there are mainly adult baptisms explicitly referred to and implicitly than the infant or household baptisms. And finally, a third answer to the Baptists, and perhaps the strongest, when they claim that there is no explicit example of New Testament infant baptism. There is no necessity for such an explicit reference if we remember that God's covenant is one and unchanging. God's manner of salvation for 6,000 years in the Old Testament had always been of the church as a whole. Adult believers and their children has always been the way that God saved His people as households. For 6,000 years, if God was going to change His mind and make it that salvation and the covenant was only for individuals and not for their households, then He would make that explicit. I changed my mind in the New Testament. Now the covenant is only for adults, not their children. Only they are washed, not their children. The burden of the proof, you see, is on the Baptist to show that God has changed His promises as only being for adults, believers, and not their infant children.
the last argument of the Baptists that we address and counter is their challenge that not all children who are baptized are washed, are saved, so we must wait until they confess their faith before we baptize them. But that argument fails. It fails very quickly when you ask a Baptist whether everyone who is baptized as an adult is washed. Is every adult believer who has been baptized truly saved? No, there are plenty of hypocrites in the church whether a Baptist church or a Reformed church like ours. Many adults receive the sign of the covenant, but don't have the reality. Does that mean that since many adults don't, or don't have the reality of baptism, that we, that we don't baptize adults? No. It's also regarding our children. Yes, there are Esau's, who are circumcised in the Old Testament and baptized in the church today. But just because there are Esau's and reprobate among the elect should be no reason for withholding the sign and the promise from the elect among our children. The promise that God shows us in His Word is that He will save His people, which include the children of believers. I will pour My Spirit upon thy seed and My blessing upon thine offspring. And parents, leaning upon the promises of God, have their children baptized and raise them in the fear of God's name, waiting upon God to fulfill those promises. But one of the best defenses of infant baptism is not only knowing the arguments, not only knowing the covenant that it is one, not only knowing that God has promised to wash us and our children and knowing the proof text, but young people, I speak to you now, especially children, all of us, but young people, listen. One of the best defenses of infant baptism is your life. It's your life. Your spirit-filled life in confession. When the children of the church grow up and show themselves to be filled with the Spirit, then they show the promises of God displayed at baptism being fulfilled. But then negatively, when the children of the church grow up and they live ungodly lives like the rest of the world, then they bring blasphemy and attack against the church, not only, but against the promises of God displayed at baptism. One of the reasons, young people, one of the reasons that many Baptists would point at us and say, 
No, we're not going to baptize our children like they do. Is because they say, God doesn't look. God doesn't fulfill His promises to them. Their children aren't with the, with the Spirit. They presume upon it. They live ungodly lives. Notice in Isaiah 44, the result. The result is a confession by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they, the children, verses, verses 4 and 5, they, the children of believers, shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the watercourses, and one shall say, I am the Lord's. And another shall call himself by the name of Jacob, and another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. What a picture. And a picture, as we've already began, is of water being poured on the dry ground, the desert ground, and the children are the seed in the ground. When the water is poured forth, it's like the Holy Spirit coming upon the children of the church. And they spring up. They grow and they become not only plants, healthy plants, but trees that spread their branches out up into the heavens and wide out into the earth. And the explanation of Isaiah is this. A godly life, yes, that is shown to everyone, but also a confession of the name of the Lord. I belong to the Lord. That's what they say. I belong to Jehovah God. Do you say that? Or do you try to keep that to yourself? As you live a godly life or seek to live a godly life that does not blend in with your coworkers or people in this world, they wonder, why, why, why do you live that way? Why don't you swear? Why do you, why do you live not talking about the people you've slept with? Why, why, do you, why do you work hard? I belong to the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. Do you say that? That's the fruit. That's the fruit that is shown by those who have been brought into the covenant with the Spirit poured out upon them. And secondly, not only do they say confession of the Lord, but they say I belong to the church. That's verse 5. Another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. That's not a boasting of a last name. Look at me, I am the son of Mr. So-and-so. Jacob's the name of the church. I, I belong to Christ, and because I belong to Christ, I'm a member of that church, Pittsburgh PRC. I'm not ashamed of it. Have a name and a place there. It's not very big, but I go there and I hold to the doctrines, confess in that church. Someone who belongs to Christ, who has a spirit poured out on them, is unabashed, unashamed of the name of Christ and the name of his true church. And then, of course, your life will match with that. Those who receive the sacrament of baptism, 
proclaiming that we are God's covenant people, belonging to Christ and to His church. Bring forth such confessions and live a godly life so that God's name is honored in this way. That the sacrament of baptism, the sign of washing, the sign of the Spirit poured out, is made evident in their whole life for the glory of their Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Merciful covenant God, we are sinners. We confess that. And yet we praise Thee, for Thou hast been merciful to us with the covenant that Thou hast established between Thee and us, including our children. We thank Thee that Thou dost give unto us in Jesus Christ the merciful promises to us and to our children, no less than to the adults, that we are washed by the blood of Christ of all the guilt of our sins, and that we have His Spirit poured out upon us. Help us to remember that precious sacrament. We thank Thee for giving that to us in Thy church. And now, O God, cause us to live our lives consistent with the sign of that sacrament, so that the name of Jesus Christ may be glorified. Pray these things, not because we are worthy, but for Jesus' sake. Amen.